Yeah, great team. Uh, the team that went to teach grow just done just outstanding. The ministry of the word was great, and all of the things that you saw there from all of the, the parachute, the, all the stuff for the kids, the balls, the frisbees, all of that stuff was through your giving, the provision of that. You saw where there um, some backpacks was given out, but it was actually more than. Um, backpacks. That that school is a Mozambique, although we were in South Africa, but where we are is very close to Mozambique. It's a refugee school uh, of Mozambican people and 500 children there, very, very impoverished. Some of the things that some of the kids were wearing were just, it's heartbreaking. And uh, we, we knew that we couldn't provide for all of them, but for 24 of those children, we were able to give them a full clothes, shoes, backpack, the whole, the whole nine yards. And so uh, thank you uh, so much for that. Uh, what Tyrone was eating, actually, is a worm. Um, they are one of their, because of their um, poverty, one of the things that they eat is called Mopani worms that they actually gather off a tree. And, um, but it's become a staple for them. And um, Tyrone was convinced that it had so much protein, he thought he ought to eat it. So he ate them. And so, and so I think he ate one, two, three, four, five. He started to look like a worm after a while. But, but anyway, but it was a good, good trip. And we were, were just blessed uh, that you trust us to do what God called us to do. It, there was much strengthening to uh, the church in Shandigar under Pastor Norman and Supriya, much strengthening with Pastor Bond and Rosemary there in Guiani, and that's what God called us to do. So thank you. Let's pray for the word. I'm ready to get to work. Father, we thank you for just the opportunity to stand here and just share with you uh, how much we love you. Uh, we, can, we can just boast about so many things that get done in our life and through our life and through the church but Lord it's it's really because we love you and uh, you, you have loved us first and that that's why we love you the way that we do and uh, Lord we also love your word and so my desire today is to express that word uh, in, a, in a manner that those who are here can understand it they can embrace it they get it uh, and, and you'll speak to their life I'm a vessel that's just needing you you to fill me and to anoint me. I want to decrease that you might increase, trusting that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. And ultimately, Lord God, my desire is that everyone at the sound of my voice will receive what you're saying to them personally and will glorify you in all that they do. Lord, we also, we pray for uh, Mark. We pray for Erica. We pray, Lord, for Brian, those, Lord, that we know need your attention. Also, we pray for uh, the churches, uh, CTC in Mexico, San Luis, and India, but also First Presbyterian, Pastor uh, Mike Bondora. Pray for him, the leadership there of the church. Uh, and Lord, as, as we pray for him, of course, our prayer is for every church in the city, uh, that Christ will be glorified and the churches will increase in population and we'll be able to do more and more in our community for the kingdom of God. Lord, we ask these things in your name and it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. May the people of God say amen. I want you to look at two passages of scripture, if you don't mind. It's kind of a synthetic text is what we would call it. And um, 
One is Psalm 1611. How many have their paper Bible today? Have a paper Bible, all right? All right, it's good to carry your Bible, good to have your Bible. Uh, Some things will be on the screen, but it's just nothing like holding it and reading the word of God. Psalm 1611. If you're there, will you say amen? Amen. I don't think either one of these will be on the screen that I'm going to read right now. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That first part again, you, talking about our God, make known to me the path of life. And now, if you don't mind, turning to John chapter 10. John's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the four gospels. John chapter 10, a verse that's pretty well known, um, yet always good for the hearing. If you got John chapter 10, can you also say amen? Amen. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. Can you say amen? amen? Now, this is the last of the series that we've done, a brief series, four, four weeks on dreaming again. And today I want to just talk about ultimate, ultimate purpose. I want to begin, though, by uh, just telling you about a, a movie that I watched this week that really kind of expresses a thought here that I think you'll, you'll understand the application. The movie was called Greatest, and it's a Christian-based movie by, about, about a gentleman by the name of Brandon um, Wolfsburg, right? Is that his name? Wolfsburg. Yes, Wolfsburg. Um, he was a high school student uh, in Arkansas. The movie actually picks up when he was 12 years old. He's sitting on a couch. He's an overweight fella, uh, and his brother was getting on him about his eating and his lack of, of paying attention to himself in that sense. And he... Um, Looked at a, he was watching a football game with Arkansas Razorbacks. He looked on the TV while his brother was saying these things. And he says, one of these days, I'm going to be playing for the Arkansas Razorbacks. His brother said to him, no way possible. You, don't, you, you, can't, you can't do that. You can't even get off the couch, and et cetera, et cetera. He went on to say, not only will I play for the Arkansas Razorbacks, but I'm, I'm going to go to the NFL. 12 years old. Now, the next scene, kind of fast forward, he's playing football. He's not quite yet in high school. And, uh, and you could see that the weight and stuff is a challenge to him. And just some of the fundamentals of football, uh, the coach ends up taking him out. The head coach of the high school, although he's not in high school yet, comes off from the sideline and sits down next to him and says, listen, I could, I could tell that you want to play, but these are some things you need to do if you're going to be able to play football. He goes to the high school, he rehearses to people what his dream was, that he's gonna play for the Arkansas uh, Razorbacks and he's gonna go to the NFL. And he begins to commit himself to what that means for him physically. Uh, by the time he graduated from high school in 1994, he was a high school All-American. 
uh, to everyone's astonishment and everyone's surprise, although they could see the progressiveness. He had several offers to go play football at smaller schools, you know, less money, but, but, but smaller schools. And uh, one of them actually, sorry, one of them was a full ride at a smaller school. And right there in front of the coach and his parents, he tore that up and says, my dream is to play for the Arkansas Razorbacks. That's where I'm going to play football. He goes out to see the coach at uh, University of Arkansas, tells the coach who he is. The coach says, oh, yeah, okay, just hears his name and keeps walking. He says, I need to talk to you. I, uh, it's been my dream to play for the Razorbacks. He goes into the story. The coach tells him, you know, people don't play here just because they got a dream, blah, 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 blah. And, and I don't have no place for you, no more scholarships. He keeps talking to the coach. Eventually the coach says, listen, if you want to come out here and go through all of this, uh, you can come on as a walk-on, but you'll, you'll never play a game. You'll never get a uniform, etc." He comes out and actually impresses them. He does everything that he needs to do to equip himself to embrace what he believed was before him. When it was all said and done, his sophomore year, he becomes a starter for the Razorbacks. And uh, by the time he graduated as a senior, he was an All-American. Put the time in, the commitment in, the work in, the effort in. The whole time he kept a complete Christian character attitude, which it's a Christian-based movie that's reflected throughout the movie, even in his years at the university. People mocked him, people ridiculed him, people tried to get him to do things and say things and act in certain ways. They tricked him on drinking alcohol and all of those kind of things, but he upheld his integrity in the Lord and done the things that he knew he needed to do to fulfill that dream. Not only did he play for the Arkansas Razorbacks and almost lead them to the championship game, he also got drafted uh, by the Indianapolis Colts in 1998 to play the NFL. The, the sad part about this story is 11 days after he was drafted, he had a car accident and lost his life. Now, something happened though after that. There was a foundation set up for him, and I want to make sure I got this uh, right. A foundation was set up after him, Burroughs, Burroughs kids. His name was Brandon Burroughsworth. Foundation set up in the honor of him. He won all kind of awards, accolades, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's uh, football awards now still named after him in major college sports. But he had, he had a, a vision problem. And some of you that may know the person, Drew Carey, he wore glasses like Drew Carey. He actually kind of looked like Drew Carey a little bit. After he lost his life, the foundation that was set up in his name, even up until this day, he lost his life in 1998. Thousands of low-income children received their glasses free because of the foundation that he set up. Hundreds and hundreds of kids in Arkansas uh, get scholarship to go uh, to a school of their choice because of this foundation that was set up uh, in his name. Um, uh, young people who probably would never have a chance to go to a football game, and this is still going on since 1998, 30 students go to Indianapolis Colts home games and Arkansas Razorback home games um, because of this foundation that was set up. And I can go on and on and on, and it's a worthy story to take the time to look into. I, I tell you all of that, sure, uh, it's tragic that he lost his life. And even that message is very clear in the, in the movie on the sovereignty of God and how that was, how that was uh, responded to. But I say that because 
Even today, you could run across thousands of people whose life was impacted because this one young man, when everybody doubted him, when everybody said he couldn't do it, when everybody said he was wasting his time, wasting everybody else's time, you even see scenes of coaches telling each other, we're wasting our time with this kid, but he pursued his dream. I said this in our first message on this series that the scripture tells us in Acts chapter two, verse 17, that God is the one that pours out dreams and visions in us. And dreams are the things that give substance to a whole lot of our life. It keeps, it keeps a lot of things on track. It builds part of our desires of fulfilling God's will. When he reveals to us what he wants, what he allows us to see, what we learn that we're capable of doing in the Lord, when, we, when he reveals our life purpose and we embrace that, there's no limitations of what can be accomplished in you and in your life when you see what God wants, to, wants you to see about your life. Am I talking to the right church? Let me, let me just read this passage to you, and this will be on the screen. It's Proverbs 29, 18. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, catch this. If people can't see what God is doing in your life through you, what he wants to do in you, what he wants to do through you, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. The interesting thing is, and I, and I think it was uh, one of our elders, Frank, who shared this with me uh, between services, is that it's, it's almost as if from the scriptures that we all know God has a purpose for us. Ecclesiastes tells us that God puts eternity in our heart, that we're made in the image of God. It's almost like we all know God has something for us, but connecting what we know to be true or possibly true and getting there is, is the process. I want to show you a, a clip here. One of the movies that's, that I just enjoy watching and every time that I'm scanning and I see it, I'll watch it. It's a movie called Simon Birch. Simon Birch was a little fellow that had a little deformity and uh, had some tragic things that happened in his life. But uh, he would often go to his pastor. Sometimes he would be called to go see his pastor because of things he's done. But he would go see his pastor and talk to him about his life because of his condition, because of his deformities, because of looked upon the way that he was. He always wanted to know what his purpose was. Let's see this little clip and then we'll, we'll get back into the message. Any questions? Does God have a plan for us? I like to think he does. Me too. I think God made me the way I am for a reason. Well, I'm glad that, um, that your faith uh, helps you deal with your, um, you know, your, your condition. That's not what I mean. I think I'm God's instrument. That he's going to use me to carry out his plan. Well, it's wonderful to have faith, Simon, but uh, let's not overdo it. See, this is the thing that happens to so many of us. We, we know and believe that God has a purpose and a plan, but we're not always sure how to connect it and how to get to it. 
And it can always be something or someone in this particular case, unfortunately, his pastor that was basically, if I could say it this way, almost an enemy of purpose. He knew that he had a purpose. He knew God had a plan for his life. He wanted some help trying to help connect that. And, uh, and the mindset, unfortunately, uh, of the pastor there was that, hey, let's not go overboard. Uh, but, but listen, it's not going overboard when you're trying to get a hold of what God said. It's not going overboard when you're trying to embrace what you know God has planted in your heart. It's not ridiculous. It's not insane. It's not even foolish. It's just godly. It's godly to know and embrace what you believe God's will is for your life. And, and the scripture tells us this, that all things have purpose in God, everything that we need to know about our life is found in him. God has created us with a purpose. He's created us actually on purpose. Nobody here was created by accident. He's created us on purpose and he's created us with a purpose. And we have one assignment right now. At least today. I know next week I'll probably come up with another assignment. But let's go with this week. You got one assignment right now. And that's to find out what God's purpose is for your life. What is it that he wants of you? And there are some enemies of purpose. Some of it I think is comparison. I think a lot of us go, go through this, whether you be a husband or a wife or a father or a mother or a teacher or a, a business owner. You know, oftentimes you'll hear people say, well, why don't you do it like that one does it? Or why don't you do it like this person does it? Or how come you can't be like this? Or how come you can't be like that? And oftentimes we hear those words of us being compared to other people and we start adapting and shaping our life to what we're being compared to. And that can absolutely be an enemy of God's purpose for your life. Another one can just be confusion. I've already read the scriptures and it's a fact that if if you don't know what God is saying, you're just going to stumble around. You're just going to stumble around. And, and, and people can go from scenario to scenario in their life and season to season. Some go from, you know, place to place and job to job, career to career, sometimes, unfortunately, marriage to marriage, and never get a hold of what God's will is because of confusion. I'm going to tell you something. I know folks 40, 45, and 50 years old still living in confusion because they never embraced what God's purpose was for their life. Some of us, some of us hit those roadblocks because of disappointment. We, we might have known, we might have saw it, we might have believed it and, and done our best to walk in that direction. And, and maybe a couple of things come, disappointment in the sense of maybe things didn't work out the way that they should have or the way that we thought that they would. And so instead of continuing to, to work through it and getting past the disappointments emotionally, we just bail out of the process. For some folks, it could be failure. Maybe they just failed. Maybe it just didn't, they didn't see the success or didn't see the results. And, and, and so they switch gears. And well, maybe that's not what God wants since it's, it's not working and they, and they go and do, and do something else. And here's the counter to that, unfortunately. Sometimes, sometimes an enemy of purpose can be success. Successful at something that God never intended you to be successful at. I would rather fail doing everything I can to embrace what God's will is than to be successful at something that was never intended for me to do by the will of God. It can be, a, it can be an enemy. Uh, laziness can be an enemy. You just won't do it. I mean, just won't get it done. That's a four-letter word that I do not like is L-A-Z 
why. Words from others can also be uh, an enemy of purpose, where people will say things like we just talked about Brandon there, where people would say things, you can't do it, you're not able, you don't have the skill, you don't have the ability, you, you weigh too much, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He could have let those words completely derail him and get him off track and he never fulfilled his purpose. Some of it can just be insecurity. We could talk about doubt. We can talk about being misplaced. I oftentimes think about the story of Samuel. You know, his parents or his mom, at least Hannah, uh, in 1 Samuel, prayed uh, that God would give her a child. She was barren for a long time. She had Samuel eventually by God's grace. And because she was so grateful in her old age to have this child, she had made a determination that she was going to take him to the house of God so he can be trained by uh, Eli to be a priest. And sure enough, he did. The, the child was born. He took, she took uh, Samuel to the house of the Lord that Eli would train him to be a priest. But the real issue was what they found out and discovered that God never intended for him to be a priest. God intended for him to be a prophet. Sometimes it can be just a matter of being misplaced. And unfortunately, sometimes, and and probably more times than not, it can be just someone not being able to help you understand that God does have a purpose for your life. I want to show one more clip of Simon Birch. This was a little bit more toward, toward the end, and I think you'll understand the point of it. Simon, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? I want to know that there's a reason for things. I used to be certain, but now I'm not so sure. I want you to tell me that God has a plan for me. A plan for all of us. Please. Simon. I can't. I don't know if there's any two words that are sadder to me when someone says, can you tell me that God has a purpose for my life? And the response I get is, I can't. I don't know if there's any two words that are sadder than that. The scripture is clear to us that God does reveal his will to us. We're not, we're, we're not some experiment. God loves us. God loves us enough to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, but he also loves us enough to send the Holy Spirit so that we can have new life and eternal life. He also loves us enough so that he makes a way for us to live with him forever. So for for me to even accept any idea that you're just here for an experiment to see how life goes and that at the end of that experiment, however it ends up, oh well, is so contrary to the God that I serve and so contrary to the word of the Lord. Am I, am I, how y'all doing? Y'all doing all right? The Bible tells us there's a few ways that people might discover uh, what what their purpose is and how God reveals it. I'm just going to deal with three characters. 
and, and, and two of them are Old Testament characters. One is New Testament characters, and I won't be able to give you the, the story with all of them, but I want you to note something about each one because one of the ways I believe God reveals purpose in our life is right from birth, right from birth. There's a, there's a man in the Bible by the name of Jeremiah. He's called, he's an Old Testament prophet. He's called a major prophet. Uh, the reason that there's four of them, Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Daniel, when you read the Old Testament, they're considered major prophets versus the others because they wrote more volumes and they also had a greater insight to the age we're living in now and the age to come. So they're called, they're called the, 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 greater, the greater prophets. But Jeremiah was in a season and a phase of his life where he was trying to get a hold of, of what was going on. And the Lord comes to him in chapter one uh, of the book of Jeremiah. And I believe this will be on the screen. And listen to what the Lord said to him. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Now, I'm not going to go onto a rant and I'm not going to take this in a manner that it doesn't need to be taken, but I don't want you to miss the language. Before he was born, he was known by God. Before he was born, he was known by God. He was not just part of a woman's body. Am I talking to the right church? He was a living substance, a living being created and known by God. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you, to, send you to and say whatever I command you, do not be afraid of them, declares the Lord. Here's a clear example of, of God knowing the purpose of, a, of the life of a person before they were even born. And so God is the same with you. You didn't come along and then get five, six years along in life, 10 years in life, 12 years in life, 15 years in life, 25 years in life, and then somewhere out of the blue, God out of his slumber rolls over and say, oh, oh my goodness, oh, I've created Sergio. I better figure out why. No, your wife may say that, but God didn't. But, uh, but God knew you before, and there was a purpose before. And there was a plan before. Can you say amen? amen? Now, for many of us, oftentimes what happens, we grow an awareness of what that purpose is as life goes on. I shared with you the first week of this series about a young man by the name of Joseph. When he was 17 years old, he had two dreams. Both of those dreams, one, his brothers would bow down to him. The other one, his family would bow down to him. And if you, if you recall, from the time he was 17 to the time he was 39, he was separated from his family. They didn't like him. Uh, they'd done away with him or done their best to done away with him. He ended up in the land of Egypt. It's there in the land of Egypt when he was the only one that had provision of food for the nation of Israel that he realized why God created him. And you might remember this verse that we read. It's in Genesis uh, chapter 50, verse 20. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. 39 years old, he realized, man, I get it. 
This is why God has brought me and given me life and brought me to this place. And for some, that is the very fact. But, but here's the issue. He knew at 17, God had a purpose for his life. He went through challenges. He went through some tragic stuff. He went through separation from his family, but he never gave up knowing God had a purpose for his life. And he kept pushing through it. And he kept his mind on the Lord. And he kept staying being faithful and true to the almighty God. Why? Because that's who his life belonged to. And there's a plan for my life. Can you say amen? And then we read about this, this fellow by the name of Saul. Saul is what, we, is what his name is when we meet him. He becomes the apostle Paul. His name gets changed. Wrote most of the New, New Testament epistles that we read were written by the apostle Paul. Many churches uh, were started and planted by the apostle Paul. Now he believed or sorry, he was living out what he thought his purpose was in life as he got older. He was raised as a, as a, uh, under Judaism, where he had a strict uh, religious uh, practices under the Old Testament system, uh, living life according to what Orthodox Jews lived, practicing Judaism, and living that out day by day. Then there was a group of folks that began to hear about this man named Jesus they saw what happened to Jesus, that he, was, that he lived on earth for 30 years, 33 years, that he uh, died on the cross proclaiming that he was the son of God, the Lord of Lord, of King of Kings. He was buried in the tomb for three days and three nights, and he rose up out of that tomb declaring that he was the Lord of all and that it's only he that has authority of God to give life to people who trust in him and that everybody who believes in him would have eternal life. Many, many people, including including now us, left that faith and began to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But he believed that the old way was the right way. He didn't accept Jesus Christ as a Messiah. He didn't believe that he was the Lord and the Christ. He couldn't see how someone who had the authority of God could die on a cross like that under the hands of people that we don't like, oppressors and foreign rulers. And so he believed that what his mission was, was to go around and find everyone who had given themselves to Jesus Christ and either have them killed or have them imprisoned. That was his mission. He responded to the authorities over him from the religious courts that he, that, that he would be given the right to go around and find these folks who had abandoned our faith and either imprison them if I can't get them to convert back or many of them would lose their life. But then Saul had one of those things that many of us have, and if you haven't had one, you got to have one, and that's a God encounter. A God encounter, the very thing that will bring the definition to your life is having an encounter with God. I'm here to tell you, you can continue to live the rest of your life if you want to and completely ignore that God exists, but there's going to be a day you're going to face him. You're going to face this God. And this is what I know. The sooner, the better. Whenever you have that God encounter, it will bring definition and purpose to your life because you will realize he is the absolute authority of my life and my life is so much better in his hands. Am I talking to the right church? Listen to this God encounter that Saul had. It's, this is uh, Acts chapter 9, uh, verse number 1. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. 
he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the way is what they were calling Christianity, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul's response was, who are you, Lord? The response, I am Jesus, whom you persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. That's Saul's encounter. But those same kind of encounters, every one of us needs to have, where we have those moments where the God who created us, the God of the planet, the God who loves us, that we have a moment in our life where we have that encounter with him and we're willing to say, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? That's their story. What about yours? How do you get to that place where you can say, okay, okay, I want to embrace this. I want to know what it is. I want to embrace it. The first thing I would tell you to do is you start with whom you belong to. Now, let, me, let me define that. If you believe that, that, that everything that you do is based on the way you think, the way you make decisions, what you think is best, what you think is right, that you're your own authority, you live by your own mind and your own actions, and you can, everybody else is judged by what you believe and what you think, then you belong to yourself. And let me tell you, if you, belong, if you live to yourself, you die to yourself. Whatever your standard and authority is, so shall it be. It's a life of total separation from the almighty God. You might, you might be living a life where you're subject to someone else. You, you're, you're, you've now given yourself over to do things the way they think, live according to what they think, believe what they think you ought to believe, act upon the things that you, they think you ought to act upon. Then your life then belongs to them. And if you live your life that way, you've, so you'll die unto them. I got a better idea. How about living a life to the one who created me and loves me and has a plan and a purpose for my life. Because this is what I figured out and, I, and maybe you have, if not, then I think you'll get there. You're gonna realize somewhere down the line, living unto yourself don't work because you just keep jacking it up. Can, can I just be honest? I went to Yuma High School, I'm pretty smart, I'm very smart, I'm extremely brilliant because I went to Yuma High School and I make some absolute dumb decisions if I leave it up to myself because I'm not that smart. And if I just leave it up to myself, then I have no engagement in the things of life that's spiritual. Because the only way that you can engage yourself in the things that's spiritual, which is living life beyond ourselves, is to engage in the God that's spiritual. And the only way to do that is to belong to him. Y'all, y'all doing all right? Here's what, the, here's what the scripture says about that. It says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I want my life to belong to the one who had a plan for my life from the very beginning. Can you say amen? Here's, a, here's the other thing that happens when you do that. 
you discover the things that are really important. Now, there's a whole lot of things in life that are important. As a father, obviously, uh, a husband, um, business owner, teacher, administrator, life, you can go on. All of those things are important. But then somewhere down the line, too, you realize that just like we found out with Brandon, we see what Simon Birch is pointing to. We see what Jeremiah, we see uh, there in the scriptures with Joseph, we see with Saul. You realize also that there's something that God has for me to do, that the only person he's really counting on getting it done is me. Can I tell you something? There, there is no better you than you the best copy you can be is still the wrong person. I think y'all missed that. There is no better you than you. And God has designed you to do what only you can do. Now catch this. Are there other people doing the same thing that I do? Absolutely they are. But they're not the same person doing it the way that I do it because only I can do it the way that God has created me to do it. Am I talking to the right church? No better you than you. And here is what Paul said, and actually this is the story of my life, if I could say that. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Let me tell you why that's important to me. It's a life verse for me. Because this is what I know. There's, maybe there's a whole lot of other things I could have done and maybe a whole lot of other things that maybe I could, I could do better than what I'm doing right now. But this is the one thing that I know Jesus Christ obtained me for. And that's to declare the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That I know for a fact. And here's one other thing I can tell you and I'll hit the next verse and we'll wrap this up. I'm not going to die with any regrets. I'm not going to die with any regrets. My children are not going to come around me in my last hours and I look up at them and said, I wish I would have. I wish I would have. I wish I would have. I should have. I should have. They're not going to hear any of that. I can assure you they're not going to hear it. Everything, when I'm, when I'm gone, they're fine. Financially, they're fine. Virginia's fine. She ain't going to be the same without me, but she'll be fine. Church is going to be fine. I got one thing I want to hear. Well done. My good and faithful servant. Well done. That's all I want to hear. And listen, when I'm on that deathbed and I'm breathing my last breath, I'm not going to be concerned about if I could have done more. I'm going to accept the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ says, you've done what I've called you to do. Come on home, my good and faithful servant. Not going to live with any regrets. And I'm telling you, you don't want to live with any regrets or do you want to die with any regrets? Can you say amen? amen? One more. I'll tell you this quick story now. I'll let you go. It's found actually in the, in, the, in the book of Mark. It's chapter five. The story very much goes like this. There's a fellow there that uh, the Bible calls a demoniac in Mark chapter five. Demoniac in the sense that he is absolutely demon possessed. And the people in the community, they know that he's demon possessed. And they stay away from him. Maybe not so at, 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 at earlier times and Family might have tolerated a whole lot, but he became overwhelmed, overwhelmed with demons. The scripture says that he would cut himself. He would make loud noises. He would throw himself in fire and throw himself in the water and all kinds of things that if you've ever encountered any demonic people, things that you might would see. And that was who he was and that's who he became. And people just let him be doing that, although he was a torment to many. But the Bible says that Jesus 
came on a ship to his or to his boat to the to the shore of this community where he lived somehow or another he found out Jesus was there he might have saw him I'm not so sure or he might have heard about it but he runs to where Jesus is on the shore and he says to Jesus why have you come to torment me before the time now there's there's some theology in there that I won't take a whole lot of time to deal with but I will tell you this that every demon that's roaming this planet they know that there's going to be a day when their day is done they know there's going to be a day. Satan know there's a time coming where his day will be done. The scripture's clear on that. There's going to be a day we get to stomp on the devil's, on devil's head. And I'm telling you, you saw what they do in South Africa. We're going to have a South African Holy Ghost hold down on the devil's head. So he knew that. But Jesus, when he encountered Jesus, Jesus asked him his name. He said some things. Jesus realized a man had over 2,000 demons and he cast the demons out. People in town found out that this man who was a demoniac, Jesus shows up and he, the demons are cast out of him. They run to where he is. They see this man who was once a demoniac just acting completely out of his mind right there at the foot of Jesus. He had clothes on. He was in his right mind. He looked like and act like and talk like a normal person. Because Jesus had delivered him. Now, this fellow went through something that I think maybe a lot of us go through. After all of those years of being under that torment and the demonic activity, and then Jesus shows up and in one moment he delivers him, he's thinking, man, if this is the guy that helped me, I want to go where he is. So he says to Jesus, when Jesus got ready, can I go with you? And, and, and you get that, man, after living all that life, if this guy came and helped me, man, that's who I want to be with. Or maybe he was a little afraid that if Jesus leaves and, and leaves me here, this may happen again. He, he said, can I, can I go with you? And Jesus said, no, no, you can't go with me. Jesus says, I, this is what I need you to do. And, and this is my point, because once you realize what God has called you to do. You need to start telling the story. He, 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 Jesus said to him, no, no, I need you to go home. I need you to go home and I need you to tell your family. And I need you to tell your friends the great thing that God has done. I need you to go let them know how good and how gracious and how merciful this God is. You know what the scripture says? Not only did this dude go home, he went to 10 other cities to tell them about the goodness and the grace of God. He discovered what his purpose was. He discovered his mission. And he wanted to tell the story. First service, we had a couple here who go to church here, Megan and Brandon Coates. Yesterday, Megan was sharing with me that when she was in the third grade, her family was unchurched. And... Um, some of her friends invited her to Awana. Awana is what we do on Sunday nights during the season. The season just ended where we, where we teach scripture and we teach the children how to pray. And they have activities and we've been doing it for 10 years. It's a phenomenal ministry and we love it. My kids were raised in Awana. He said, she said her friends invited her to Awana when she was in the third grade. She went to Awana during that season. She gave her life to Christ. During that, during that season in the third grade. Every day, though, she went home to an unchurched family. After third grade, she could no longer go to Awana. But she said, Pastor, from, that, from, from Awana in the third grade, I learned how to read my Bible and I learned how to pray. And I did that every day of my life. Fast forward. She's living in Indiana. Some reason or another, she's got to come. She's got to move to Yuma. 
her first service here is Christmas Eve 2017. She walks into CTC, realizes this is her church. She, she again, uh, came from that unchurched background and also her husband was from an unchurched background. For six months, she came to CTC by herself. Her husband came doing our VBS, which we're having real soon, and he set in on the evening sessions that I teach on. During that week of VBS, he heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, gave his life to Jesus, and got baptized. Both of them are now serving in CTC. But I'm telling you that story for this reason. What she told me yesterday, she says, now I know what I'm supposed to do. She went out to YPG and and applied for a position of being a religious, they call it a religious director, but basically it's the children's ministry department. They didn't have anybody who could do that. They asked her, did she want to do that? She said, yes, I want to do it. She says, every week I get to teach children what I learned when I was in third grade. She says, now I look back on that experience in third grade and realize I'm living out my purpose now. That's the God that we serve. God wants you to find that purpose in your life and live that out. I want everybody to stand if you would. I just want to ask you one question. If you don't mind closing your eyes for just a moment, bowing your heads. If you were, if somebody asked you, how would you define eternal life? What would you say? What would you say? I'm going to tell you what Jesus said in John 17, 3. He says, eternal life is that you would know the true God and his son who gives us eternal life. Now, out of everything that I've stated to you, everything that I've talked about, about finding purpose and mission and and all of those things, it begins right there. It begins by first making that commitment that my life from here on would be surrendered to the almighty God. And there's a great exchange. I give him my life and I don't lose anything because he gives me eternal life. I give him my life and he gives me eternal life. Eternal life is living in that abundance of life that comes from God alone. It starts right there. Now listen, if you're here, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're here and you've yet to make that commitment to give your life to Jesus, that he may lead you on the path of life that he has for you. I'm just going to ask you, if you want to do that today, just raise your hand and I'll, I'll see you and I'll pray for you right where you are and I'll help you follow up. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, man. God bless you. Today can be that day today can be that day. God bless you, young lady back in the back. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for trusting God and and his word. I'm going to say a prayer and then I'm going to, the prayer team, you can come and then we'll we'll close this out. But but I I want us together as a family for those who might have made that commitment and, and today they're doing it for the first time. Let us pray together with them. It may not be the first time you prayed this prayer, but let's pray together with them. And, and so that they, they know that we care and we love and, 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 and um, they're part of us. So let's, let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, today I make a commitment to give my life to you. I thank you for the promise of eternal life. 
I thank you that you promised me that you'll lead me on the paths of life. From this day forward, I want to live my life for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a hand, praise. Now, if you're here and you prayed that prayer for the first time, I'm going to be here waiting for you. You can come see me. I want to, I want to see you. I want to help you get to the next step. I'll wait for you if that's you for the first time. Anything else that you want, altars will be open, whether it be sickness that you want prayer for healing, you want joint prayer about for someone else, you need to be baptized, you can let somebody here know, you want to be filled with the Spirit, whatever it is, the altars will be open and they'll pray with you. Father, we thank you for the great and glorious opportunity that we've had to be together. We thank you for the work that you've done in our life. We thank you for the conviction that's come upon us to surrender our life to you and to trust you for the paths of life. Be glorified in us as we go from here to our various places. Let us tell our story of what you have done for us that others that are far from God may find life in Christ. In Jesus' name, may the people of God shout hallelujah. God bless you. Have a great day.